This week, Dr. Charles Stanley graduated to glory at the age of 90. Dr. Stanley served as pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta for 51 years. He authored over 60 books. His sermons have aired daily on the internet, on TV, and on the radio for a number of years. How many of you have grown in your walk with Christ through his ministry? Just raise your hand. Yeah, look around. That's fabulous. Uh, There was someone who told me, Todd, sitting right over there, he came to Christ listening to a Charles Stanley sermon on the radio. He was on his knees in his living room, and he prayed to receive Christ. I've always admired how Dr. Stanley was able to hold the attention of his listeners. Uh, one of his, one of my favorite lines from his preaching is when he would say these words, listen to me now. <laughs> it's like he could tell that people were starting to drift or to doze, so he'd bring them back and say, listen to me now. I may use that today if I see you drifting or dozing. So last weekend, we looked at the importance of everyone gathering, and we summarized the message this way. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Today, our topic is everyone growing. Here's what I'm hoping we learn and live out. Spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Here's what Dr. Stanley had to say about spiritual growth. If you want to genuinely grow in spiritual maturity, it's not enough to simply be instructed by the Word of God. You may love going to church or listening to Christian radio programs. You might talk about everything you hear and assume you're growing because your knowledge is increasing. However, if you don't actually grow closer to God by allowing his word to change you from the inside out, your head will merely continue to fill with information. Spiritual growth is the result of practicing the truth you receive from God. Now, to help us practice God's truth, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to be in the last two verses of Peter's second letter, known as Second Peter. So join me. We'll read this together, verses 17 and 18 of Second Peter chapter 3. Be reminded this is God's inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's read together. You, therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You can be seated. So here's the context. If you read the verses that come right before, actually the whole book, there's two big themes in 2 Peter. First of all is the nefariousness of false teachers. They're everywhere and they infiltrate everywhere. Second theme you'll see in 2 Peter is the nearness of the return of Jesus Christ. In light of these two certainties, 
Peter, as he's concluding his letter, gives three exhortations. Number one, guard. Number two, grow. And number three, glorify. Uh, We see the importance of guarding in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. The word beforehand helps prepare us for what lies Ahead, So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. That phrase, take care, calls us to be wary and watchful. Watchful of what? Of error. Here's why. Because lethargic, sloppy believers will bail on the Bible if they're not on guard. Ephesians 4.14 warns about being tossed to and fro, that's quite a word picture, so it's like you're in a boat, it's windy, it's wavy, you're tossed to and fro by the waves, and you're carried about by every wind of doctrine. I wrote down some ways in which I see Christians being carried away, first of all, by progressive Christianity, by critical theory by easy believism, by the prosperity gospel, by secularism, by gender and sexuality issues, and over all of that, we could just say by sloppy spirituality. Those who are lawless have no concern for the clear teaching of truth because they live outside biblical boundaries. And so we thought it's very important for everyone in our church to guard and to stand firm, in particular for the men of Edgewood, to stand firm. That's why we're doing a retreat this next weekend. It's not because we just want to have fun and throw axes and do guy kind of stuff. No, we need men to step it up. We need single guys who will step it up and stand on God's word and live with purity and without compromise in our culture. We need married men who will lead their wives well. We need dads and grandpas who will pour into children and grandchildren, not just when it's convenient, but in an intentional way. We need men to stand up, to man up, to grow up, and to stand firm. That's our topic next weekend. Perhaps you're thinking, like a lot of guys, I don't want to go to a play, something like that. I don't know anybody, or, oh, I don't want to blow my whole weekend on a retreat. Well, here's some good news. It starts Friday night. You'll be home Saturday night for dinner. It's just one night. We're going just less than an hour away. If you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do that. Brothers and sisters, you and I must guard ourselves. Here's why. Otherwise, we'll lose our spiritual stability. Now, if you're a born-again believer, you won't and can't lose your salvation, but you can certainly lose your steadiness leaving you stagnant and just tossed to and fro, ineffective. 
Check out the book of Hebrews chapter 2, which is filled with warnings to Christians. Therefore, notice the word must, pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Here's why. Lest we drift away from it. In an effort to help us guard the gospel as a church without wavering or capitulating, the pastoral team has been working on a six-week worldview emphasis for this fall where it's going to be called Unshaken and Unashamed. We're going to address topics like reality, like identity, like truth, like who Jesus is, our purpose, our culture, and how do we witness in our culture. We're going to do that through our sermons and through our growth groups. We also plan, this is going to be a big project, but we also plan to provide teaching for our children on the same topics we're going to be learning here, children junior high, high school, young adults that were all synchronized and learning the same material so that we stand firm in our culture. We're bringing back the pop-up bookstore we used during the Prophecy Conference. If you were here last fall, we had a Prophecy Conference and we had a bookstore set up out there with titles that had to do with the return of Jesus. This time, we've asked them to come and bring books on apologetics, on worldview, so that we know what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can communicate it to others, and also bring materials and resources that we can purchase to help us in our parenting and in our grandparenting, because we want to pass on what we know to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our co-workers, along with our children and grandchildren. As part of this emphasis, we're inviting an apologetics expert to come. We're going to do a Saturday morning intensive apologetics seminar. You'll be hearing more of that uh, down the road. So listen to me now. I think I'm going to start using that. So if you were drifting or dozing, Marty, are you back? Okay. Here it is. Spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Secondly, grow. So the best safeguard against falling down is growing up in your faith. It's a bit like riding a bicycle. Like if you're moving forward, you're doing fine. But if you stop, you don't put your feet down you're going to fall over. Check out what D.A. Carson writes. People do not drift toward holiness. Would you agree with that? I mean, if, if you just go on cruise control, you're not going to drift to becoming more holy. And he writes, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, toward prayer, toward obedience to Scripture, toward faith, and toward delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and we call it faith. So look at the last part, or the first part of verse 18. But grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. The word but shows a contrast. So if you don't want to drift away, if you don't want to fall away, here's what you and I need to do. But grow. If we don't want to fall or be led astray, we need to grow. To grow means to enlarge, to add, to augment, to advance, to increase. Oh, it's in the present active imperative. I wasn't good at English either. I don't have any idea what that means. Except that it means it's continual. It's something that we need to do actively. It could be translated like this. Keep on growing. So not just grow once. No, keep on growing. Or be constantly growing. One pastor has some great insight. We don't hear much about spiritual growth these days. Many Christians have been diverted by various teachings that promise power, spiritual energy, and success without the process of growth into spiritual maturity. They look for dramatic experiences, climactic turning points, instant solutions to their spiritual problems. Millions of professing Christians, he writes, suffer from arrested development. Churches are filled with people who are spiritually immature, undiscerning, weak, and fragile. Spiritual underdevelopment is the rule, no longer an exception. So listen to me now. (laughs) So as I was preparing this message and reflecting on the state of the American church, I wrote down a few sentences, and and I want to say them now. First of all, there are no spiritual shortcuts. You cannot coast in your Christianity. You can't hit pause and just say, I'm going to just pause my Christian living for now. I'm going to go do what I want to do and expect to stay in the same place. No, if you're not moving forward, well, actually, you're moving backwards. Well, let me say it even stronger. If you don't swim against our current cultural confusion, you will be swept away by the waves of worldliness. If you're not growing as a disciple, you'll drift into godlessness. There's a verse in the New Testament that puts these two truths together, that I'm responsible to grow, and it's God who does the growing in me. Check out Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved... Oh, Paul's using the same word Peter did, my beloved. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out and do it with fear and trembling, for that's our responsibility, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's role. Or we could say it like this, we need to work out our growing. I think of another verse written by Peter in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long 
for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may what? Grow up. Oh, let me just add, if, if you're wondering why you're not growing, it might be because you're not in God's word on a daily basis. Or to say it another way, you won't be able to grow apart from God's word. This is how we grow. And we're to long for it, that pure spiritual milk that we grow up. Secondly, God works in us to grow us. That's the process of sanctification, that the Holy Spirit does his work in us. I think of 1 Corinthians 3, 7, said, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Growth is the process by which our positional truth becomes more and more a reality in practice. Notice our growth is to take place in at least two areas. First of all, in grace. Grace means favor or a gift given to guilty people. We don't deserve it. We certainly can't earn it. One commentator says God's grace is his active favor bestowing the greatest gift upon those who've deserved the greatest punishment. How do we grow in grace? Well, we're reminded on a daily basis that if it weren't for the grace of God, our sins would consume us. Everything we have is by his grace, which should make us more generous, less judgy and judgmental of others, less all up on ourselves. Listen, everything we have comes from him, and it's his grace. We need to grow in that. I like this definition, using the letters as an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. So let me ask a question. Are you growing in your understanding and thankfulness for the unmerited gift of God, which not only saved you, if you're saved, but sustains you and sanctifies you? Are you growing in grace? We're also called to grow in knowledge. The word knowledge refers to understanding. So we're called to comprehend the words, the works, and the ways of Christ. It's more than just putting facts together about him because, well, he's not just a subject to be studied. He's a person to be known. Uh, John 17.3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We're urged to get to know Jesus personally, experientially, relationally. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Old Testament book of Hosea calls us not to be passive, but to pursue him with all we have. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. You know, if it's been a while since you've read one of the Gospels, you might want to do so again. I just picked up the Gospel of Mark two days ago. Uh, You'll hear more about this shortly, but one of our newest Sunday growth groups will be going through what's called the Gospel Project, and that will begin in the Gospels. 
And as a way to help all of us grow in our knowledge of Jesus, we're going to celebrate the supremacy of Christ this summer by going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Now, before moving on, don't miss the word and. We're called to grow in grace and in knowledge. If we only grow in one way, our message will be muddied as we'll either become wishy-washy or prideful about all we know. Most of us know more of the Bible than we really live. Or as one pastor put it, most of us are educated way beyond our level of obedience. Yeah. We're like, God, teach me more, teach me more. He's like, okay, live what you already know. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, how easy it is to grow in knowledge, but not in grace. Knowledge without grace is a terrible weapon, and grace without knowledge can be very shallow. Another commentator remarked, the better we know Christ through the word, the more we grow in grace, the more we grow in grace, the better we understand the word of God. Hey, have you observed that our society's on a trajectory south? Actually, that's what it used to be. That's not the ark anymore. This is the ark. It's just, you're like, what? I mean, you see things in your news feed, you hear people say stuff, and you're like, where is that coming from? What's happened? Listen, in order for us to stand firm, we need to grow in our faith. And you and I must become increasingly a people who know Jesus Christ personally so that we grow in our relationship with him. And when we do, we'll be able to show the Savior to a world in desperate need of his grace and of his mercy. For the third time in this letter, Peter refers to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a fourfold title. One application of that is it's impossible to separate Jesus Christ as Savior from Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, we start with Lord. He's Lord and Master. He's supreme in authority. He is Savior. He's the one who rescues and saves and sustains. Jesus, his name means the Lord saves. And Christ, that's the transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one or Messiah in Hebrew. And so we submit to him as Lord. We love him as Savior. We adore him as Jesus, and we worship him as Christ. Now, let me ask a few questions. You don't have to answer them out loud, but my guess is as soon as I ask the question, you'll know the answer. You'll be able to just put in your mind where you're at. So here's the question. Would you say you're growing or have you stalled out? Well, let me ask it like this. Do do you know the Lord Jesus Christ more this year than you did last year? Do you know him more in April than you did in March? Do you know him more this week than you did last week? Will you know him more today than you did 
tomorrow. As someone has said, you can be young only once, but you can be immature for a long, long time. Hebrews 6.1 says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to what? Maturity. So listen to me now. I'm going to start saying that every sermon, I think. I don't have the southern drawl, though. Spiritual growth is intentional, not automatic. Number three, glorify. Sometimes I hear Christians say, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know my purpose. And as I have opportunity, I'm like, man, what you're going through stinks. And I know this is hard, but listen, our purpose is to bring glory to God. And we can do that no matter what we're doing, no matter what job we have or don't have, no matter what we're going through in our health or whatever, we can bring glory to God. That's our highest purpose. That's our aim, is to give glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We read, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Glory refers to his power, his majesty, his weightiness, his heaviness, his splendor. So to give glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to acknowledge that he is God. You do know that, don't you, that he is God and you're not? You do know life's not about you, don't you? You do know that life's all about him. And sometimes I hear people say that the Bible is God's love letter to us. I I get that intention, but, oh, it's much more than that. The Bible reveals to us who God is. The Bible's all about Jesus and how we can know him. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other We're to give him glory right now because that's what we'll be doing in eternity. The word amen means so be it or let it be so. Let's pull this passage together. When you guard the gospel, you'll want to grow. You'll need to grow. And when you grow, oh, God gets all the glory. So let's circle back to the early church. In the first church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, we read that they fleshed this out in three different ways. First of all, they grew through their time in the Word. I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Another translation says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Friends, you know the most basic essential for any healthy church is a steadfast commitment to hearing, learning, and applying God's word in order to grow as a disciple. And so make sure in your world that you are reading God's word every day. Pastor Kyle puts together a new Bible reading plan each month. Why do we do that? Well, because it's hard to stay focused. You can start afresh in a new month. We reboot it, and this next month, month of May, will be in some of the shorter letters, including First and Second Peter. These plans are available at both resource kiosks, also on our website and our app. So first, grow through your time in the Word. Secondly, grow through large gatherings. 
The early church was committed to grow through the preaching of God's word in corporate worship settings. Look at verse 46 of Acts 2, and day by day, attending the temple together. Yeah, they met daily. They gathered together daily for a daily dose of God's word as a way to help us take God's word as it's preached and apply it to our lives and to stay focused and to learn and to live it out. We provide resources for you. We email the sermon manuscripts, note-taking sheets, discussion questions out every Friday. If you want to get on that list, just indicate it on a card and drop it out in the lobby. Uh, There's also uh, note-taking sheets and discussion questions at both resource kiosks. Number three, grow through small groups. We believe growth takes place when each believer is in God's word every day, when every one of us is gathering with God's people on a weekly basis, when God's word is preached in a large group celebration, and when it's fleshed out in a small group setting. We see that the last part of verse 46 breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts 12.12 describes believers meeting in the house of Mary where many were gathered together and were praying. In Acts 16.40, after Paul and Silas were released from prison, where did they go? They tracked down where Lydia lived. Why'd they go there? Because that's where the believers gathered, we read, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Acts 20.20, we read about how Paul taught publicly and from house to house. We read in Romans 16.5 how Priscilla and Aquila opened their home for ministry. Greet also the church in their house. I was trying to think of some other examples of small groups in the Bible. My mind went to Noah. Noah had a small group of seven They met in very cramped and smelly quarters (laughs) for a short period of time. Daniel and his three friends, they formed a spirit-enabled community. They met for more than 70 years. Jesus selected a group of 12 guys for some intentional discipleship. And then he identified three of those guys and spent even more time with them for some specialized leadership training. John Wesley insisted that new converts be folded into groups of believers who meet weekly in order to check on the condition of each other's souls. Wesley believed there was no such thing as a solitary faith. He taught that it was only through such close fellowship that people continued in their faith. Those who did not join a group sooner or later fell back into their former careless life. How many of you enjoyed group projects when you were in school or maybe you're still in school? Anybody enjoy those? That means, well, I'm not sure what that means. Nobody liked having me in a small in a group project because I was just coasting through school. I didn't really contribute, but I liked being in a group that had the brainiacs in the group because then we'd all get the same grade 
even if we didn't contribute much. On the other hand, if you were serious about your studies, well, you would not have liked having me in your group. Listen, spiritual growth is a group project. Those of you who are a little further along with your faith, are able to teach and train those who are just starting out. Do you know there's people here at Edgewood who don't even own a Bible? And if you don't own one, there's a Bible in front of you. That's our gift to you. Who are trying to figure out the difference between Noah and Moses and what's this testament and why are there four Gospels? Man, you take somebody who's just starting out and they're with somebody who's been walking with Jesus a long time. As a group, we help one another, and we grow together. Romans 12.5 says we're members of one another. During 2023, we're encouraging everyone at Edgewood to be all in. The word everyone is used at least 200 times in the Bible. It means all. It means every. It means the whole. So our assignment from the Almighty is for everyone to be on mission by gathering with God's people, by growing, by giving, and by going with the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, all for the glory of God. And because we believe spiritual growth happens best in groups, we want to see everyone at Edgewood involved in some kind of group this year. One pastor remarks, small groups are the purest expression of the church. Here are six focus areas we've identified for this year. We want to see everyone discipling or being discipled. Uh, We're hosting a group connect weekend. That's actually this weekend. You'll hear about that in a bit. Uh, Pastor Kyle has given some intentionality to recruiting new leaders and providing training for our leaders. Uh, This summer, we're going to launch a church-wide state of theology survey. This is the same survey that was done earlier this year, almost a year ago now, put out by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Ministries because we want to get a sense of how we're all doing on some of these key areas of theology. Biblical worldview focus, I mentioned this earlier, and then ramping up our edge men's ministry. Hey, could I encourage you to find a group to join? Our aim is for everyone to plug into a group. Let me just share some of the groups that we have. We have 12 Sunday morning growth groups including a men's group and a women's group, plus a junior high and a high school group. We have 15 midweek groups. At least 10 of those groups have space for more people, including five of our groups that meet in homes. We have women's groups and men's groups. We also have a group for the snowbirds. Welcome back. Sorry the weather hasn't been so good for you. We also have caring groups like grief share, divorce care, and Alzheimer's support. Those groups are wrapping up for the summer, but they'll begin again in the fall. Uh, We have a group on Saturday morning, second Saturday of the month, called Weavers of the Bible for Women. On Friday night, Celebrate Recovery has groups for men. There's a group for men struggling with purity. There's a group for those struggling with anger, with alcohol or chemical dependency. 
another group for life issues. There's groups for women for abuse, life issues, and alcohol and chemical dependency. In addition, Celebrate Recovery currently has two weekly 12-step groups going on that meet during the week, one for men, one for women. And I just learned on Friday night, two more Christ-centered 12-step groups will be starting soon. And more than 80 people have been involved in our intergenerational intentional discipleship groups, which will be starting soon. Now, perhaps you're thinking, man, with my schedule, I don't know how this is going to work. I heard about a creative way to join a group. Uh, Edgewood member Jessica Trowbridge shared how she and two other women use the YouVersion Bible app, and they do a virtual Bible study together. So here's how it works. Here's the YouVersion app. If you open it up, down at the bottom, it says plans. I circled that in red, and different Bible study plans come up. Interestingly, there's a, a study from Charles Stanley called Waiting on God. All of that is free. What they do in their study is they read the study, they read the text in the scripture, and then they type out notes, and the other two women in their group are able to see those notes. They interact with them, and then they go on to the next lesson. That might be of interest to you. We want everyone in a group. That means me. Beth and I lead a group on Wednesday nights. We've been in a small group probably for 30 years. Uh, That means you, not 30 years here. That means all. That means everyone. That means the whole church. That's going to take focus and extra effort That's going to take a willingness to change our schedules and our preferences and and maybe skip something that isn't as important so we can do that. Let me circle back to Dr. Stanley. The key to his life and ministry can be summed up in Acts 20, verse 24. This is a verse that he meditated on all the time. And now with his graduation to glory, it has, well, listen to it. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 